This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. There's been lots of fallout since the Prime Minister's appearance last week, where he appeared to be trying to manage expectations about when we will actually get vaccines here in Canada. Some experts believe that the agreements, which were not inked until August, may put Canada at the back of the line. One bit of good news on the weekend, the chairman of Moderna, which has one of the most promising vaccine candidates, says we're not at the back of the line. But where are we? And another statement by Justin Trudeau also caused a bit of a furor. He said, we no longer have any production capacity to produce vaccines here. Again, some experts argued that is not so. And how quickly could we tool up? We know that some planned improvements to our national research labs have been taking forever. And on the other hand, uh, two of those very promising vaccines have RNA messenger technology, which is brand new. So it's not reasonable to expect that we would be able to produce that right away. I'd like to hear from you. What do you think? Are you worried that you won't be able to get the vaccine? Uh, And we don't really have a sense of who's getting it first. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. Now I am joined by Mark Livonen, who's a senior fellow at the University of Toronto's Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation and the former president of Sanofi Pasteur and Dr. Eleanor Fish, a doctor and professor in the U of T's immunology department. Hello and welcome. Hello. Good afternoon. Pleasure to be with you. Okay. Great to be with you. Um, Mark Livonen, uh, do you have a better sense of where we actually are in line for getting the vaccines? Well, I do. And I should add uh, one other point, Libby. I'm also uh, one of the co-chairs of Canada's COVID-19 vaccine task force. Okay. So I am right in the middle of all of this. And um, I think uh, the vaccine task force was formed to provide advice to the government of Canada on how to secure safe and efficacious vaccines for Canadians as soon as possible. And we've been working on that since June. And it was a direct result of our advice to the government that they have gone ahead and procured the seven vaccine candidates that they've done uh, to date. And uh, I think we should start off with the, the terrific news that uh, these candidates are progressing very quickly. You mes- mentioned the uh, messenger RNA vaccines for both uh, Pfizer and Moderna. Uh, they have come on stream very quickly with great uh, efficacy results and safety so far. They are not yet licensed. So we, that remains to be seen. But I think uh, we should be acknowledging that and the fact that we will get vaccines faster than anybody would have imagined even five, six months ago, I think is quite an achievement. Okay. Uh, Dr. Fish, do you concur? Absolutely. Um, 
So I'm on the therapeutics task force um, that was formed to assist and recommend to the government of Canada. And I think what your audience should appreciate is that um, certainly on the vaccine task force, and I hope the therapeutics as well, there are individuals there who can uh, evaluate, look at the science, look at the technology, and consider uh, what would be best for the Canadian population. So I know there's been a lot of discussion in the last little while about why don't we have the biomanufacturing capacity to make these uh, RNA vaccines. And, uh, you know, you sh the audience should be aware that um, in parallel, there are uh, discussions and funds that have gone to actually build that capability. And it's not a simple task because to retool or to build a completely new facility, which is probably what we're moving ahead with, requires building the facility, validating it, making sure that everything is in place to produce uh, doses. And um, that's going on in parallel. So the strategy to move ahead and procure those vaccines that we felt were the likely to be the front runners. And this is seven vaccines that uh, Canada has got uh, agreements, contracts for, um, was absolutely the best strategy. Okay. Um, I wouldn't imagine that tooling, tooling up or building new facilities is, is something that would be fast or simple. Mark Livonen, uh, though, so where are we? Uh, are we going to get those vaccines in the first quarter of the year? And who are, I, I would imagine we're behind countries that can produce it themselves. And, and how is it that we're behind Australia? So uh, a few aspects to that. So first of all, I think we are in good shape for getting our vaccines, as has been publicly announced. Um, we expect to receive 6 million doses uh, in the first quarter. So that's beginning from January through to March. There will also be vaccines delivered, if all goes well, in the second quarter, the third quarter, the fourth quarter. They will continue to come. And let's, let's step back for a minute, though. None of these vaccines have actually been licensed yet. So assuming they will be licensed, um, the steps will be taken to deliver them and roll them out and get them into people's arms. Okay, wait a um, minute. I think it, Sorry, yeah. wait, I have a question. So you said that we will get 6 million doses in the first quarter of, of which vaccines? And that's only enough for 3 million people. Yeah, yeah. So that is enough for 3 million people. Um, and again, this is based on what we project and forecast. Nothing has been licensed, but our best information would suggest that we would get those from Pfizer and Moderna, the RNA vaccines, and then vaccines would follow. We've, you've heard about the, the Janssen, the Johnson Johnson vaccine, uh, the AstraZeneca. Uh, down the road, there will be the Novavax and Sanofi Pasteur GSK protein subunit vaccines. And the Canadian candidate in there is Medicago, which uh, the vaccines in virus-like particles, and that would come further down the road. So we do have a portfolio approach uh, that Canada has entered into. We've, they, they've entered into agreements to buy seven candidate vaccines, again, assuming they get licensed across four different technology platforms. So it is quite complicated in terms of procuring them and bringing them on board. But things are looking quite promising, very promising. Okay, so I know that we have firm orders for, I think, 20 million each of Moderna and Pfizer. So why is it that we're only getting 6 million to start? So these things take time to deliver. If you think about scaling up for the world, 
um, and, and having the supply available right away, it will take time. It does take time to produce them and roll them out and, and ship them. Uh, you had a comment earlier, and there's been some discussion about the U.S. and the U.K. and so on getting vaccines earlier than us. Um, I would point out it might be weeks earlier. And the other thing is when a vaccine is made in a domestic market, they will have some advantages in terms of shipping, uh, being able to stockpile it, and so on. Uh, if you think about it, for example, uh, the companies have gone, we have compressed the vaccine timeframe development tremendously. Uh, I gave a talk uh, back in May and talked about 10 to 15 years being the traditional timelines, four to five years being the fastest ever to develop vaccines, that being Ebola and mumps, and 12 to 18 months was what was laid out for these vaccines. It was actually unbelievable. But the way companies, academic institutions, scientists, industry, government, everybody has collaborated, and really, we really are in that kind of time frame, which is something never been done before. And so steps are occurring in parallel. So, for example, the manufacturers are manufacturing the product at risk, even though it's not been licensed yet. If these products aren't licensed, they'll have to destroy it. They'll lose money. This is, again, a new approach. So back to the point about where they're made, if they're made in Canada, or sorry, if they're made in the U.S. or they're, they're made in Europe, the companies aren't going to want to ship them to countries like Canada or Australia or anything else at risk, because if it never gets licensed, they would just have to dispose of them. They'll need to keep them in their own country so they have control of the inventory so they can actually send it to the countries where the vaccines get licensed. Uh, Dr. Fish, is, is Australia really ahead of us and able to produce these? Um, to be honest, that's, that's not a question I can answer. I think uh, Mark has been very clear about what our strategy has been and uh, where we're at. And again, I want to emphasize that this is a, a remarkable process and a remarkable collaboration, um, not just you know having these seven that will be available to us, but also the fact that ongoing right now, the logistics around distributing you know, um, capacity for freezers for uh, one of the vaccines that needs to be scored, stored at minus 70. For example, the hospital I'm in, you know, University Health Network, we've got a distribution logistics which is working with Ontario Health, Toronto Public Health, Ontario Medical Officer of Health, Toronto Fire Services, Toronto Paramedic Services, so that as soon as we receive these vaccines, they will be out there in the community. So let's not talk about Australia. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, just, you let's know. Let's talk about what we're doing in Canada to ensure that the population is going to have a very timely access to uh, these vaccines. Yes, as as uh, one of my previous guests pointed out, that, that if, if uh, Canadians start seeing pictures of Americans uh, getting vaccines before we have them here, they, they won't be happy. Um, I'm going to take a question, a good question, from Warren in Oshawa. Hi, Warren. Hi, Libby. How are you doing? Fine. I'm just going to ask your guests, um, and you have shows in the past about uh, as we get older, our immune systems weaken. Um, does your guests know how effective these new vaccines at 95% are going to be toward the elderly people? Thank you. Okay. Uh, who wants to take that? Well, I'll take a first crack at it. So it certainly is, is an issue, the whole issue of immunosenescence and our, uh, our waning immune systems as we get older. Uh, a number of the vaccines have done clinical trials in seniors, and they've seen some data in that um, that are looking promising at, at this point. 
but that will have to be carefully considered when the final results are in, uh, the final license is issued, and the final recommendations are given as to what party uh, populations get what vaccine went. Uh, I think it's both the Pfizer and Moderna that that had a reasonable number of of older uh, people in the trials. Am I I right? Uh, That's my understanding. Eleanor, I don't know if you have something to add to that. No, and I mean, the point is what we're all waiting for with bated breath is to see the scientific data, not press releases, but the scientific data published so that we can evaluate. Um, but certainly the, the comments that we've heard and the, what we've, we've garnered is that these vaccines will be effective in the elderly, and we're waiting to see how that compares with perhaps young adults. But to point to uh, Mark's point, um, you know, in the elderly, there is this uh, feature of uh, uh, immunosenescence, which means a, an immune system that is less robust. Doesn't mean to say the vaccine won't be effective um, or the vaccines. It's just that um, we have to evaluate, you know, what the levels of those factors that are produced are in the elderly, uh, which might be absolutely sufficient to uh prevent infection or to prevent severe infection. I mean, I'm assuming that some of them will be more effective in an older population than others. And I know that the AstraZeneca got some criticism because they didn't have older people in the trials. Uh, well, again, uh, let's see the data uh, before we, we project uh, and, you know, uh, make comment. My, my feeling is that uh, until we have the data in front of us and the clinical trials are not, you know, for, uh, I think it's for AstraZeneca, um, I don't believe that that's completed yet, and they're talking about a further trial. Um, until we have the data in front of us, it's really unwise to, to guesstimate, to project. We know that vaccines will induce a response in the recipient, and the level of that response dictates how protected they are. So even if it is a less robust response, it might be sufficient to, for example, confer protection from severe disease. Let's go to Nelson in Strathroy. Hello, Nelson. Good afternoon. How is everyone there today? Everyone's fine, thanks. Go ahead. I just have two quick comments. They're they're bashing the government that they didn't get enough uh, vaccines. That's uh, the opposition, not our guests. Just, I, I yeah, know. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not saying your guests. I'm pro liberal. Anyway, uh, that's besides the point. The thing is, we have people that usually ten percent of the population is go getters. They want to get the vaccines first. Then you get a the mass population might sit back and wait to see what the the processes are going to happen, and then you get the rest that don't want to take any. So I think what they've purchased should be sufficient for the time being. And this I thought morning, you had they, a question here. Well, I, 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 when I called in, I said I had two comments. And the, the other thing was a comment this morning on CNN. They were mentioning that um, Moderna is, or the U.S. is also posing problems that Moderna might not have sufficient for themselves being made for the U.S. Uh, because of all of the obligations they have for the other countries. Will that pose a problem for us if they impose issues as they posed for the PPE prior? Okay, thanks for that, Nelson. Uh, Is that a potential problem? Um, Is the U.S. going to slap limits on how much can be exported? Uh, Dr. Fish, do you have an inkling? Again, I haven't got a crystal ball. Uh, I I would 
hope not with the new administration that this would not be a, a scenario that unfolds. Um, again, as I said, I don't have a crystal ball, and, and I believe Moderna made it clear that uh, we have a contract in place and they would follow through on that contract. Mark Levonin? Yeah, yeah, I'll add that uh, with the vaccine task force, uh, looked at all of this, and, and it was quite a mind-boggling challenge when you think about it, looking at vaccines that are not licensed, that are being developed, and trying to decide which ones to purchase and recommend to the government. And we looked at a variety of factors, and uh, yes, the issue of vaccine nationalism, as people refer to it, did come up. So we did think about what vaccines were made where, and we were uh, conscious of the PPE uh, issue that had occurred. And so when we looked at the vaccines, evaluated them, did our due diligence and recommended them, we did take into consideration where they were manufactured, uh, the robustness of the supply chain and other things. So all that was taken into consideration uh, as we provided our advice and contracts have been struck. And uh, I think we've done what we can to mitigate uh, issues of supply around that. Now, I would point out vaccines have challenges. Normal manufacturing of vaccines have challenges. There will be blips along along the way. That's inevitable. It's been amazing how well it's gone so far, but you have seen things like clinical holds um, as people evaluated advice, and there will be manufacturing disruptions. There could be supply chain disruptions. Uh, that could very well be the case, and um, that's one of the reasons we took a portfolio approach to vaccine procurement and it is certainly one of the, there'll be ongoing challenges in, in managing this. And as we said, it's not just about the vaccines, it's about vaccinations. And we need to get these into people's uh, arms and shoulders. Uh, there was a question in our last segment. So if we have Canadian snowbirds uh, who are actually going down to Florida, would they be eligible to get the vaccine there, or presumably if they want pay for it, or or is it only Americans that are going to be eligible for the first tranche? Do either of you know? Um, I, I don't think we know, but I'll, I will offer a few thoughts or observations. So um, we know that uh, Canada has uh, agreed to make these vaccines free for Canadians. I've also heard the U.S. say that they will provide the vaccine free to Americans, that would be uh, very unusual. That's not what they normally do, but, but let's assume that's the case. They will have their own restrictions, I presume, in terms of rolling it out um, to the high-priority groups uh, first. So not everybody will be able to get a vaccine in the beginning. And so I would imagine that in the early stages, in, in the first quarter, say through to April, um, not everybody who, who would like a vaccine will get one. They will look at high-priority groups. Um, I would have thought since the uh, U.S. government is paying for it, it would not be available for others. But having said that, uh, there is a great um, private market and free enterprise instinct in the U.S. And who knows, maybe there would be vaccines for purchase through other supply chains. Um, One could only speculate on that, that that might be the case. But I think there's a few of these other hurdles that would need to be overcome to get there. In terms of high priority groups, Dr. Fish, uh, you know, different levels of government and authority have different ideas about what that is. Do is, is it clear who is going to decide? Is it going to be federal government? Is it going to be provincial health or even public health uh, in Toronto? I know that the, the Toronto Public Officer of Health thinks one thing, the provincial thinks another. So who is going to decide? Um, that's a very good question, and I think well, the answer to that is that this is going to be done in consultation based on the knowledge that we have, who are the most at-risk groups. Um, 
at, at that particular point in time. We know that frontline healthcare workers, um, we know that the elderly are at risk, and I think there will be no dispute that um, priority should be given to those who are at most risk. Um, who will make the final decision? Um, I think the federal government, in consultation with provincial governments uh, and their health authorities, will uh, collaborate to make those decisions. But where it finally vests, um, I suspect, will be with uh, provincial uh, health authorities. Mark, do you have any comment on that? Yeah, no, I think that's generally right. Um, uh, generally speaking, NACI, the National Advisory Committee yeah. on Immunization, yeah. is the is the group that will come up with the recommendations for high priority groups, mm-hmm. and uh, they are working on that. And then the the actual rollout of the vaccine, the distribution and administration, is a provincial and territorial matter. And so those groups will be rolling it out within the guidelines, um, as as NACI has indicated, and as Eleanor has said. Um, Places like Toronto and so on will also be involved in the local administration and, and who actually gets who, who gets what vaccine when. Okay, I'm going to take a very quick question from Helen in Toronto. Hello, Helen. Hi, Libby. Uh, my concern is most vaccines and medications take years to roll out, and the testing phase is very long. This is coming very quickly. My fear is another thalidomide. Okay, I'm going to let our experts uh, answer, and I'm going to let you go, Helen, because we're almost out of time. Uh, Mark, what do you say to Helen? No, I think it's, it's a valid uh, concern, and when I talk about vaccines that take 10 to 15 years or 4 to 5 years, and now this is 12 to 18, how do we make sure? Um, I can assure you that from a Canadian perspective, a science will rule the day. So while these things are being done in a faster time frame, no shortcuts are being taken in terms of the steps. Uh, the clinical trial data is being generated. Health Canada is doing their review. Uh, that's why I've a couple times referred to the fact until they're approved. Um, but I am very confident that science will rule the day. And once a vaccine is approved by Health Canada, that it will be safe and effective for people to take. Okay, and uh, I have, uh, oh, we have maybe a minute left. Dr. Fish, how many people or what percentage have to be vaccinated uh, for us to get herd immunity? That's, again, a very good question, and uh, it's not altogether clear. Um, What we do know, we don't even know how many people realistically in Canada have been infected because you've heard about these asymptomatic infected individuals. We know that... For those who've been infected, there appears to be a short term of protection. So, again, I, I, I hesitate to say whether it's 60%, whether it's 70%. Um, the key here is that there will be a vaccine available, and one can only urge the population as it becomes available to individuals to take the vaccine. This is our best mechanism to shut down this pandemic. Once and for all. So, uh, you know, to, to guesstimate what might be, what would be the appropriate uh, numbers for herd immunity, I think, you know, is really a guesstimate at this point. Um, and I, again, just as many people as, sh- as can should take the vaccine. Um, and that will be the most effective way. Okay, uh, I'm sorry, but we are out of time. And uh, thank you very much for very good information. And we will certainly be calling on you again. Thank you, Mark Levonin and Dr. Eleanor Fish. 
And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.